Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to the DC Sports Brain Trust. My name is Varun, your host and moderator. Joined, as always, by three of my good friends and the best sports analysts around, Rahul, Chris, and Nick. How are you doing, gentlemen? Yeah. Well, by sports yeah. analysts, all we got right now is cornhole, so I'm, I'm pretty good at that, you know, at the tailgates. <laughs> yes, sir. Everyone, <laughs> every, everyone after a few beers can be good at cornhole. Yeah. Or, at least or at least think they're good at corn. You think they're good, think, yeah. Yeah. You, you might be hitting uh, the imaginary board right next to it, but you know. Hey man. That's hey man, make anything a professional sport at this point. We're we're, we're You should we're, just stream the Ocho twenty four seven. Oh god no. I I love the Ocho, dude. Uh, I don't. They're over. They're overdoing it at this point. I'm just like, dude, get this out of here. I don't want to see 2017 wood carving competitions over and over again. I can't wait for uh, competitive beer shotgunning to be a thing <laughs> in the next like month or two. All right, let's start with the DC Sports of the Week. Let's dive right in and talk about baseball. Let's talk about extensions. Uh, with a lot of these players coming up, have their deals. Let's see, based on their skill set, based on what they bring to the team, does an extension make sense? So let's start with Juan Soto. He has about four years left in his deal. He's going to be a free agent in 2025. So what would be the cost of a 10-year extension right now based on how well he plays versus the current market of player contracts? Let's start with Chris. Uh, well, so basically, the, the only real point of reference we've got for players like this nowadays is uh, Acuna who just last year got uh, eight years for $100 million, which is, I think we can all agree, would be a bargain for Juan Soto, especially because he's a Scott Boris contract. And Scott Boris is always looking for top-end deals. Um, he alone is not one to uh, give out contracts before the six years. He's a big fan of the do your six years and then head to free agency and break bank there. But it's also interesting because that's a risk, right? Yeah, I mean, risk hypothetically, if the player sucks at the end of the arbitration. Well, it's that—that's the risk for the team. Is like because the contract's the contract. Like it gets the the contract signed. Um, Well, the the risk would be yeah, if he's not as good as a free agent, like yeah, then that's the risk. If his if Juan Soto somehow becomes worse, um, he he's not he wouldn't make as much money. I, I don't think he's going to be worse, but, you know. I feel um, like so, it's against his agent's best will for him to get signed to a 10-year extension right now. If he just goes through those four years, he's going to be making so much money. Like, well, it, it, it depends. Like, so you can compare it to kind of like this year he's not going to make a lot. Um, next year he's yeah. not going to make a lot. Arbitration he'll make 12 to $13 million, just about. Um just looking at past averages. This is all assuming that the uh, current CBA, um, the collective bargaining agreement, stays in place, which expires after uh, next season. You have to kind of compare it to, you're not going to make a lot these four years, but you'll make a shit ton um, when you're a free agent versus just making a solid amount for the entire time. So we'd probably be making, I don't know, at least $20 million a year versus... Uh, 11 to 12 million for three of the years and then like 700,000 for one of the years. So, I mean, that's, that's what, that's the tw- question mark trade off. 
does it make sense for players if they're good enough just to go to free agency, collect a five-year contract, play out that five-year contract, and go for another payday? Or does it make sense to just go for the long-term year extension and then hopefully teams think you're still really good at the end of that 10 years for another giant payday? I mean, it really depends on like what the player wants. If Does he want job security? Like Acuna is going to be in Atlanta for the next eight years, essentially. Um, while Juan Soto, he'll be here for the next four, um, at least, most likely. Uh, but then maybe he'll sign a new deal for like eight years, then he'll sign another. So if he wants to stay in the same place essentially forever, then it might be worth his while just to re-sign a really long contract with the Nats. It's it's hard to say with like what he's thinking because we, we're not inside of his head. Um, we're not inside of Scott Boris's head, although we pretty much know how Scott Boris is going to play it out. Yeah, of course, his mind is dollar signs. Like, let's be honest here. <laughs> um, but what and, and what do Juan you... Soto is always. I mean, we all know Juan Soto will bets on himself. Like he's a, he's pretty confident. I mean, the Soto shuffle. Like we all know, he's he's a confident that guy. He believes in himself. So I think he's willing to wait out those four years, five years, four years, and sign a new contract. Do you see his contract being record breaking, a la Mike Trout and Bryce Harper before Mike Trout's extension was announced? Uh, kind of depends on if he keeps it up. If, if I think he it can... really depends on this year, though, um, Chris. If it, like if he like jumps up his play yet again, it's just like well, it's they're gonna have to <laughs> crunch some numbers and figure out who to let go because you have to sign yeah. Soto. It was a must sign well, at mean, that they, point. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's it's he's going to be a lot of money. Like, I think that's all but guaranteed. I mean, we're probably looking at a three hundred million dollar deal. I, I'd say um, come the end of his 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 arbitration timer. Yeah, I think. Hey, what you, about you? What do you think? I, I think if we let him go through arbitration uh, and into free agency, I think it's going to be closer to four hundred million. Uh, you yeah. consider inflation. Yep. Uh, and just kind of the way that um, trends are going, um, you know, I, I think that's probably what you'd be looking at. You know, somebody will pay that. If you get a chance to extend them right now for eight to 10 years, I would say 10 years. If you could do it right now, I think the cost would be upper 200s over 10 years. Uh, you would consider over the four years. Through arbitration, he'll probably make forty million, and that's maybe on the high end if he's making like ten million a year. Um, uh, yeah, it won't be. It won't, it won't be, be quite. quite it'll be yeah. closer to like thirty-five. <clears throat> so you'd be buying out the other six years that he'd otherwise get in free agency. Um, so you have right. to pay that at a premium. So assume those six years he's making forty to forty-five million. Uh, that's about 240 million plus the four years of arbitration. So I think it would be an upper 200s deal over 10 years to get them to sign right now. And, and, you know, that's a big commitment. Um, I think with Boris, I think it would have to be even more. I think we're looking more at 275, 300 million, um, at least for a 10 year deal. I totally agree. I think that's the ballpark you'd be looking at to, to I have heard rumors that the only reason Okunia even went that low was because he his family was having some financial um, question marks. I, I don't know if that's true or at all, but there were some rumors about that, that that might have been why he signed so early and so cheap. 
Well, he um, also only had one year under his belt, and Soto's got two pretty solid years under his belt. Yeah. Makes difference. So yeah, I think he has a lot more leverage than Acuna. A little, a little bit of a team risk there with Acuna, but you know, now that he's two years in, it, it, it's really looking like quite a bargain. Um, at this point, we really know what we're getting with Soto with the two years that we've seen. It's much more of a sure thing. So his, well, you know, his, yeah, I mean, Soto's got the clutch factor, um, and he's he's just been really, really consistent, solid player over the last couple of years, which no. is just going to drive up his value even more. And he hasn't really gotten injured. Knock on wood. Yeah. yeah. Knock on, please, knock on a lot of wood. Please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's. Well, let's hope that the Nats have the space to sign him once he hits. Yeah, that's like, always the, the question mark. They should. It's whether or not the the owners will will jump at it. And yeah. this is all again assuming that the collective bargaining agreement um, stays as as is. Facts. All right. Well, let, well, let's go ahead and jump down to uh, Victor Robles. Has has the same amount of time left in his deal as Soto. He'll also be a free agent yeah. in twenty twenty five. Um. What do y'all think about signing him early? You think that would be probably an efficient thing to do right now? I want to jump into this real quick. I think if you you sign Robles right now, I think it's very similar to signing Acuna a year ago. They're kind of in similar situations in terms of their uh, offensive output and kind of where they were in their careers. So Robles, you know, he had a solid year, probably a lot more he could improve on. He's not quite the bat that Soto is yet. Um, but with Robles, you could get him on, you know, one of those more discount type deals. If you want to take that risk, like, like the Braves did with Acuna at this point, you know, they both had like 60 something RBIs. Uh, well, when Acuna signed his deal after a year, he had 60 something RBIs in his time playing. And that's what Robles is at after a full year of playing. That's about what he did this past season. So I think it would be a similar type of deal, like eight years, a hundred million. And that's something you have to really consider because that is a discount. If he'd be willing to sign that now, I, I think a Robles deal might make more sense uh, than a Soto deal just because of the price. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I would jump at Robles just because this year was basically his first year in the league. Um, I mean, 2018, you can't really count. He played 21 games and only had 59 at-bats. So this year, we kind of have to compare to Acuna's 2018. While his RBIs are similar, um, the other stat, the his average is, is not nearly as good as Acuna's. His defensive ability is not nearly as good as Acuna. Oh well, yeah, it's 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 as good as Acuna, um, but his stick just isn't up to Acuna's level um, as it stands. Yeah, um, I agree. Like he's just not getting on base enough. So I think that right there is you can't sign him yet um, to a contract, especially when we're getting him pretty cheap right now. Yeah, I agree with that, uh, Chris. I think that you, we should probably wait and just see if he shows more um, before we start to consider extending him. Um, and there's just a, other Nats players that I, I would be thinking of extensions right now. Yeah, I mean, when you when you got a... I mean, Robles is good, but Acuna is one of the best players in the game right now. Right. Robles is a very, very good player, and I think he'll be an all-star eventually. Um, but I don't think he's worth 
the trade-off for the really cheap value that he's at right now and will be for the next four or five years. Do you think it makes more sense to extend Trey Turner at a similar deal? Like a- yeah, actually. Well, I- Trey Turner's a lot closer to free agency, so they're not going to be able to – he's not going to sign a deal until free agency, I'd say. Oh, really? You want to how give- they did Strasburg. To give yeah. the audience some background, Trey Turner has about three years left on his deal. He's going to be a free agent in 2020. I mean, he's already hit arbitration, so two years. And- I actually <laughs> would try really hard to sign Turner to an extension. I feel like this he's is like one of the go for it though is what I'm saying. Yeah, but I feel like, like this is one of the more important parts. So because he's yeah, just I mean yeah, I mean Steven Strasburg also took a similar route where he was getting two almost two free agency and then he signed a, a deal with it, a longer deal with the Nets. Um I think Trey Turner will probably do something similar. Hopefully. Hopefully we can bring him back. Um but I, at this point, he's already hit arbitration. He's only got two more years, so there's no point in signing a new deal right now. Let's. Uh, why don't we jump down to uh, un unbiased here, the greatest pitcher of all time, Max Scherzer. Um, <laughs> two years left in his deal. He's gonna be a free agent in 2022. Does it make sense to extend him, or do you think he's kind of approaching that level of? You know, Father Time always catches up, kind of decline. Yeah. I think you just let him play out his deal, and then just yeah. he'll probably retire or go play for a year with another team. Yeah, I don't think he's going to retire because I mean, this is Max Scherzer, and he's going right. to play baseball until his last dying breath. <laughs> but I, sixty-year-old Max Scherzer on the mound. <laughs> Phasms are really crazy. Like I, I yeah. haven't heard about a player having that before. And it, like to me, it just like kind of like if he's thinking about it, like what that meant, like to him, like when he couldn't even like really move, and he had mm-hmm. to get like painkillers injected. Basically, it's just like does ba- does playing baseball longer really seem that worth it? And it's like even if he, like he is that ultimate competitor, he still has to like consider his yeah. long term health, and it's like coming to that end. So I feel like he will retire after those two years, and he might even retire a little uh, bit earlier. I don't. I still. I don't think he's gonna retire um, after the two years. But I think the Nats do have to wait for that. Con- like maybe he'll resign with the Nats. Um, I wouldn't mind bringing him back for a, obviously a cheaper deal. Right. But uh, I mean, he's still like right now. He's a really good pitcher. Yeah. Um, no. Right now. Yeah. He's amazing like, he's right now. Sub, he's still a sub three ERA pitcher. Um, and it, I mean, all of his stats are are pretty pretty good. Um, I mean, his whip is still pretty solid and his hits per nine are still pretty solid. So like it's too late in his career to really be looking at an extension. Um, that would be reasonable physically wise. Yeah. Well, all right, let's move down to the last player. The do Sean Doolittle has one year left in his deal. He's going to be a free agent in 2021. Doesn't make sense to extend him. No. Yeah. Well, so you say no, but I'm arguing oh that end of the segment. No, I'm just, I think I'm as a relief pitcher, you're not really going to extend him for a long period of time, and certainly not a lot of money. I don't see a reason not to, especially when we've been complaining about this bullpen for years and years and years. Even like the year we won the championship, we were still complaining about it. I feel like just like adding another piece with Hudson, who we signed for two years, 
just kind of makes sense. And then we could probably fill it out with other options. Um, either like if there's a promising draft pick that we can bring up or something like that. So the- I think it makes sense to like kind of give him like a similar two year to Hudson. The problem with that is that there's really no point in making an extension right now. Cause if they wait for the contract to turn up, um, Doolittle is probably going to resign either way if they sign him now or if they sign her down the road. Like he really likes it here from what I've heard. His family's liking it here. Um, his wife is all over the net social media right now. So I think that the likelihood of him going somewhere else either way is really low. So I think it's just a very, to extend him right now is a very high risk and like, I mean, we know what sort of pitcher he is, but it's high risk, low reward, essentially, because he might like relievers are so volatile. Um, I mean, look at the Nats were bringing in Rosenthal and Bearclaw last year, and they thought that I mean, I thought that that bullpen was going to be pretty solid, and we all know how that turned out. Um, So pitchers can be or relief pitchers can be really weird from year to year. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a good idea to commit too long to any reliever over the age of thirty. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as Doolittle is any done reliever, for us, really. Yeah, and as great as Doolittle is, as much as he's done for us, I think you had to just do it a year, year by year yeah. thing with him. Though we yeah. did commit to Hudson, he was thirty-two at signing. Yeah, two years. Well, because they they'll they'll sign if when they sign Doolittle, it'll be for two years. But I think that it's just there's no point in restructuring, creating a new contract right now when you can just re-sign him, um, all but guaranteed over the off season. All right. Well, let's move on then. Uh, good talks about baseball. Let's move into football. Um, let's start with the million, billion, probably trillion dollar question. Why is Twitter annoying? <laughs> there are a lot of dumb takes around. Obviously, everyone has an opinion with Twitter. But let's just look at some of the takes that we at the DC Sports Brain Trust think are a little less than savory. Right, Drew, Drew, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut in here. and I'm going to talk about something I saw real quick, and it pissed me off i saw i saw a tweet from i don't remember what account it was but it was some stupid redskins account and it it basically said oh dan snyder is finally learning and he's he seems to be finally coming around it's so great you know we're gonna be a good team and the other man he's finally getting it and he's learning i'm just like i fucking heard that when he hired gruden i fucking heard that when he hired bruce allen and Mike Shanahan, I fucking heard that when he hired Joe Gibbs in 2004. It's just like the take is so fucking stupid. It's like how the hell can somebody listen to the same take about how Dan Snyder wants to win and how he always is learning and getting better as an owner, and yet you get the same fucking result every year for 20 years? You know what that is? That's insanity. That's the definition of insanity. And I'm I'm, I'm pissed. Someone Nick, else. I agree with you for head coaches because we have been through the ringer for that. But Dan's really only had two GMs. And if you consider Scott, uh, like he was given that title of GM, but he didn't last here for more than two years. So Good it's GM. like, so, so it's like Vinny and Bruce, they were kind of cut from the same cloth. And like with what we're bringing in with Rivera, 
and also Kyle Smith. It just feels different, but I don't think Dan Snyder has learned. You could see that last year when we signed Landon Collins to a gigantic mega deal while we had holes all over our team. And it's just like Landon Collins wasn't going to be the one thing that was going to make it happen. You know, it wasn't going to try the defense. It was at a time when safeties were being completely devalued. Yeah, Yeah, they they were getting something for so cheap. And then Landon Collins was the biggest contract, I think, that offseason. But yeah, and I've heard another take about how people are hyping up Dwayne Haskins' weapons that J.D. McKissick and also Gibson, Antonio Gibson, are going to be these amazing (laughs) weapons at running back wide receiver. And the reality is it doesn't matter if Dwayne is throwing to amazing wide receivers that are proven and really his only proven wide receiver is McLaurin if his offensive line has a rookie starting at left tackle or some old vet Cornelius Lucas starting at left tackle or God forbid Jaron Christian starting at left tackle. He's pretty much a bust of a draft pick. He's just going to get, he's going to get murdered out there uh, with that O-line and Morgan Moses is really deteriorating in his level of play. And it's just like, you have these two tackles that are gigantic question marks and you did sign Sadiq Charles, but again, he's a rookie. He's also very young at the age of 20. You're not sure if you can just fit him in to that left tackle spot and he's going to he's going to perform well. So it's just like there's a lot left up with the O-line. It doesn't matter what weapons Dwayne has. It's like it's all up in the air. And like that's why fan expectations for the season, like not fan expectations as you see on Twitter, but like realistic fan expectations are like 7-9 is the ceiling. Yeah, smart expectations are 7-9. So with with things like smart expectations being seven and nine, you know, constant back and forth of, oh, Dan Snyder's learning when in reality he hasn't learned anything with, you know, Vinny Serrato, Bruce Allen and Scott McLuhan just completely shitting the bed in their respective roles. I got to ask, guys, why are you all still Redskins fans? <laughs> I have no idea. It's a good, <laughs> hard question. I mean, I... <laughs> I don't really know. It's like there's nothing really when you're at this age and like watch the Redskins, there wasn't really anything good to go off of except for RG3's playoff season in 2012. And like it was just like a one and done playoff. And then you we injured our franchise quarterback and it was just a mess after that. So there's really no highs as a Redskin fan. I mean, uh, just because they haven't been good doesn't mean you stop being a fan. Like a diehard right. fan is it's a just diehard like, fan. You're getting you're getting whipped every season watching the team and like you know yeah. it's gonna happen and like there isn't much light at the end of the tunnel, but like you're hoping that and there's not much light at the end of the tunnels for this season either, because it's kind of a rebuild year. But you're just kinda yeah. hoping that it's not Dan learning something, but the talent that we have in our organization can piece together a winning football team and a culture. Yeah. Okay, Damn wait. good culture, if you will. Damn. Damn well, let's right. hopefully leave that behind. So, <laughs> all right. Wait, so wait, wait, so I got another question. How do you all manage to be more miserable than Browns and Bengals fans? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I think it's just more expected with the Browns and the Bengals. And it's been a thing for so long that they're just relatively cheap. I mean, we're also fans are low key masochistic. We also don't know it. (laughs) We don't know as many Cleveland or Cincinnati fans, so I think it's hard to say. Plus, Cincinnati, like they've been bad, real bad for the past two or three years. But I mean, they weren't 
terrible for the entire time. Like the Redskins have been pretty bad for a pretty long time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Browns also have been really bad. The Browns have been really bad for a really long time. But yeah. again, I just think being in DC, like we just don't see as much disappointment <laughs> and it's I, fucking cleveland and cincinnati so. yeah i was gonna say dc is <laughs> just a much bigger media market and yeah. also like we at a point yearned to get that bengals level of success at least being able to make the playoffs expectedly on a year-to-year basis but we haven't even achieved that so it's just yeah. like we've been kind of stuck in this mediocrity basement level for so long and that we have these mm-hmm. like, occasional glimpse of nine and seven it's like oh we could do something in the playoffs we're on a hot streak and nothing happens so yeah. it's just all right so i guess my next all right so i guess my next question is what what do you how are y'all gonna feel hypothetically if if the ron rivera experiment doesn't work out i think it's gotta be if anyone turns this thing around it's gotta be rivera i mean the guys he's not the perfect coach and some you people know, call him Jason right with the Super Bowl appearance. Say again? Some people call him Jason Garrett with a Super Bowl appearance, just looking at his win-loss records over the years. Yeah, oh I don't know. I think the fact that you can take a team to 15-1 and one or to 12-4 and four, uh, on, on a few different occasions, that's success that we've never even sniffed here. I mean, when you consider the fact that in 20 years – like the most success that we've had is a 10 and six record. I mean, that's, that's not a, you know, it's an okay team, but you haven't even won 11 games in the last like 25 years, you know? So I think he's got the ability to take a team to a really high level. The consistency question is valid with Rivera, but I also think he had injuries and some question marks with that roster. Um, That's never happened with the Redskins. Oh, not at all. Um, but I think it's that it's that ability to take that team to such a high level that you've seen on at least two occasions with the Panthers and Ron Rivera that gets you kind of excited about his his ability with the Redskins. And I think he brings that right combination of mentor-family side as well as the authoritarian side. You know, you need the right balance, and I think we've never really had that in our head coaches. I think we've always just had coaches that – kind of just let you do what you want. Um, and that's just never gotten us any sort of success. So I think you hope that Rivera is the right guy with, with the right combination of skills to, to really bring the team to actually some sort of level of respectability. If it's not him, I don't know who it is, you know, because you've hired the two times coach you've hired, uh, you know, the up-and-coming offensive coordinator in Gruden, you've hired the college superstar in Steve Spurrier. Um, you've had upstarts in Marty Schottenheimer and North Turner, and none of them have panned out. Um, so if Rivera isn't able to get it done, I don't know who gets it done without a well, new owner. I'll tell you who. Joe Gibbs, part three, is going to get <laughs> for the Redskins. Well, he's going to be sitting on a wheelchair on the sideline <laughs> pretty soon here. <laughs> All right. Well, let's say, uh, based on team history and the number of coaches that the Redskins have hired, the 29th time's the charm. How <laughs> many years do you all think 
will it would it take for Ron Rivera to make this team go from shit to good and how and will he make it under the guise of a new GM? I think in this NFL it's all about getting results. Like I feel like lately there is so much head coach turnover, like especially now. I feel like two years is enough for Ron to get it back. This year is kind of admittedly our kind of like, let's see what our rookies and sophomore players can do while we still offload the expi- the really terrible contracts and also Alex Smith's contract eventually. So I think this year is just kind of eh. And then next year is when we're really going to put everything together. So mm-hmm. I would say two years. So next all. year, so next year is like the real test. Yeah, next year would be the real test. This is just like, I'll just see what um, Greg Stroman, the nickel cornerback, can do, or Jimmy Moreland can progress, or stuff like that, and see if, like, what we should do about John Lowndes. Should we extend him past his fifth-year option? Or what to do with Deron Payne? And also Reuben Foster, he's uh, where we just have him for this year. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat with you. I would probably say I want to see a 10-win season within the first three years. Um, yeah. The only difference between the two and the three years is the thing about this upcoming season is it's it's not a win-now season at all. It, it's a rebuilding season, and you have to find out if Dwayne Haskins is going to be your guy or not. And if he's not going to be your – like he's going to either prove that he's the guy this year or he's not. And yep. if he's not going to prove it, then you need to go get somebody in the 21 draft. Um, and then give that quarterback two years to succeed in a Ron Rivera-led team. So I think he's got to prove it within three years. If Dwayne yeah, Haskins is the guy, then in two years we could be a solid team. I think three, the third year is probably the way to go because, I mean, this year is kind of a wash. Like, they're not going to do much this year. Um, next year they'll collect some more pieces and – and some of the guys are, will hope will pan out this year, but you still they're still going to need more pieces. They still got holes, and right. I think giving it an extra year, an extra set of draft picks um, to develop for a year. Uh, so the third year would be the way to go for for myself. With, yeah. with or with that, with if or if not, um, if Dwayne Haskins pans out or not, I think the third year is probably the the way Jeez. to go. All good talking points brought up from my three favorite analysts. I love it. Um, so why don't we uh, lower... One, one of these days, I want you to just say, those were some god-awful <laughs> takes. I, d- I don't want to hear it. They are terrible. You all are idiots, and here is why. It'll, 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 it'll eventually happen, but I, I really need to... In moderator... <laughs> <laughs> one of these days I'm going to blow a gasket I'll just yeah. completely <laughs> when we like, start talking about fake sports such as WWE ooh got me there got me there <laughs> anyway let's move into something that lowers Nick and Rahul's blood pressure which is basketball we yeah. have Scott Brooks he has two years left in his contract he's going to be a free agent per se in 2021 do you let him play out the contract, or do you just bail on him after the 2020 season? I think 
you see what he does with John Wall when John Wall gets back. If he's shit, you can him. If he's if he's good, you you keep him um, for the next year. And then, like, if he's good enough, if, if they make the playoffs next year, I say you keep him for that last year. Um, and then, if they still can't really amount to anything, if they're still not a top five team in the conference, I think you can him and get somebody else. Well, I they feel still like need another piece, don't they? With you know Wall coming back off an injury, you got you got Bradley Beal, you got Rui Hachimura, yeah. but there's like one. I think they need like one other key component to at least. Well, we, we've like, we've so. talked about them needing the big man um yeah. a solid amount and they'll pass a couple episodes yeah uh, I, I feel so like assuming for- that they get like a solid big man like a serviceable big man i think that if they're not top five within two years i think you got to can them yeah i would uh, i think scott brooks has been given too long a leash um with the organization and i feel like this year it's, it has to be more than playoffs for scott brooks to keep that last year and i think that if that's the case if we just go playoffs and one and done you just can scott brooks and let tommy shepherd choose his own guy um because you know brooks is kind of the holdover from the grunfeld era mm-hmm. so you just have him a new coach roll in with wall beal hopefully hatchmore took the next step and just keep it up mm-hmm. like from then on but i i really don't think you scott brooks would have to pretty much make the championship for me to want to keep him for his last year I don't. I don't know if I'd go as far as championship, just because John Wall is coming back off an injury, and they kind of need him to perform if they 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 think about a championship. What if John Wall comes um, back and doesn't perform? Like if he's like, it's just like it's pretty much a wrap for his career, I or think, at least his career with the Wizards. Um, I mean, he's got to make playoffs next year, I think, to keep his job. Either way, if John Wall pans out, or if he doesn't, um, he's definitely got to make playoffs. And then I still think top five for two years from now, top five in a conference, two years from now. Um, he, that, that's got to happen for him to keep his job, I think. Because if not, like, they're just middling and mediocrity forever. And, I mean, you're never going to win a championship that way. Yeah, I mean, we've already uh, – Shepard did a good job of offloading all those Grunfeld contracts that yeah. were terrible. Um, yeah. So I think this is pretty much the year for us to go – this last season, we took a beating, and it was like well, Bill kept on yeah. putting up fifty point games, and we mm-hmm. still lost, and it was brutal. So I that's think, what like, I mean. Like if yeah. they're not making the playoffs, like if they don't make the playoffs next this this upcoming the twenty 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 one season, if they don't make the playoffs, then you you got to dump them there. And then if they're not a top five in the conference team the next year, so like they're not improving from year to year, I think you, you got to dump them because yeah, I feel like maybe I. Or, Maybe I went too far with the championship, but I feel like if at least you don't make conference, I was like, we've made the playoffs before with the I Wizards, mean, and could, we've seen the story play out. It's yeah. just frustrating, conference especially when you have all these. In the second year, they gotta win a series. Like the, that's the the big thing. If they don't win at least a series in the in this two years from now, I like there's no way you keep that guy. Yeah, because yeah, like they're they're starting to get pieces together. They're starting to get some momentum, and if but they've had these pieces together, they've had. Well, they, I mean, John Wall has been injured, so yeah, he, he's coming back. And Beal wasn't a hundred percent, or like he wasn't as good as he is now. Um, when John Wall was still available, um, and then Ruby Hatchmore is definitely going to help. 
and they need that big man. I mean, like we've said, if they get those pieces and they're not making the playoffs and they're not top or making the conference semifinals, I mean, yeah. They've, they've put together a lot of baseline-type players, you know, culture-type yeah. players this past year with Shepard. And I think that's what Rivera is about to do with the Redskins. But essentially, you've got Bertans and Rui that was just drafted. Um, who was the Michigan guy? I'm already blanking on his name. Anyways, you've got a lot of role players that have shown promise. They're not going to be the starters that level you to a championship team. But, you know, I think you've got a vision in place for the next like five years, and those guys are going to be part of it. You're thinking so, of Mo Wagner. Mo Wagner, yeah. 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 But I think the key, yeah, like, like you guys were saying, I think the key part to this whole thing and keeping the coach is Tommy Shepard and does Brooks, does he implement the right scheme and the right culture with what Tommy Shepard wants? Um, you know, I think, I think Brooks is going to have to really step the game up this upcoming year to keep his job. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like the Wizards, the Wizards are a year or two ahead of the Redskins right now, I'd say. Like, yeah, he's getting to, you know, we were talking about that third year earlier for the Reds, for Ron Rivera. Um, he's getting to like that. I mean, he's not in his third year, obviously, but he's getting to that, you know, we got to have some kind of progress eventually. Um, otherwise, like, why are you even here? We need to look for a guy that will give us some progress. Yeah, thank you guys for those fucking awful takes. Um, <laughs> anyway, Damn, watch your mouth. Wow, wow dude, dude, you yeah, like, dude, we're trying our wizard basketball. We got kids listening to this podcast. We're, we're trying to give our cold heart or our hot takes to the audience here, and you're just giving us crap for it. I didn't know Varun Dada was a Scott Brooks stand. I know. <laughs> He's riding the Scott Brooks bandwagon. Hey, man. Hey, man. I'm just taking a page out of Wizards legend Michael Jordan, man. Fuck them kids. All right. Scott Brooks is paying him under the, under the table. Let's be honest. <laughs> he is. He is. I'm going to be honest about that. Um, anyway, <laughs> let's move on to hockey. Uh, let's talk about the contract of probably the best DC sports athlete in history, um, Alexander Ovechkin. He's got two years left in his contract. He's going to be a 2021 free agent. Um so when you come to approaching Ovi, I, I, to me, it seems like a no brainer that we should extend him at least so he can at least retire as a capital. But I want, I definitely want to hear your all's thoughts on that. I think we should extend him just cause we extended back, oh, pretty much Backstrom. And I felt like Backstrom was like kind of talking with his agent. It's like, yo, it's like, I really am extending in the hopes that Ovi also gets to finish his career here with me. So I expect an extension. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think through, I, I, I agree. Like if we don't see an extension, I would be shocked. Um, especially cause the, the D- DC loves Ovi and Ovi loves DC. So it's, it would be pretty surprising to me. I mean, he's made a lot of money over the years, so he doesn't really need that part. He doesn't need the big, paycheck at this point so I, I don't see a world that he doesn't resign or extend yeah i think they'll line him up with backstrom so yeah so going into this 2021 season he's this is his last year under contract um after the conclusion of this season if it happens so he's got one year left um and backstrom just signed for five years so i think you give ovi a four-year extension you line the two of them up um and, and you give 
those two a solid run at another cup. Um, and that also really, and then since you'd have Ovi and Backstrom both another five years, I think you really give Ovi a chance uh, to, to chase Gretzky's record in those five years. I think it's very doable that he could do it in those five years if he stays healthy. Um, you know, and after that, you go year by year and you see what where they're at. I think they got to, like, at least match Backstrom's contract with the five years. Like, we want him to play the same amount, but I think that if they don't at least match the Backstrom contract year-wise, I think that would be kind of a slap to the face to Ovechkin for all he's done. Um, so you, you got to give him well, at least. Yeah, I, I, I don't see any issue with that. He would have an extra year on it, but, I mean, he's going to be good enough into his 40s, I'd say. Um, so, like, he's, he's he hasn't shown any real signs of slowing down as it is. It just, yeah. he looks old as shit. <laughs> like, he He's had gray hair for like five years now. Yeah, I was like, oh my god. I didn't, know, I didn't know the Russians grew gray hair so early in their lives. <laughs> Man, if he feels like a 60-year-old player, like just gearing up every game. Uh, he looks older than Yarmir Yager right now. Yeah. Do you do you guys see Ov taking the route of pay cuts to get other players? No, no. I, mean, I don't think they're going to pay him like top. I don't think they're going to pay him like top one or two money. Yeah. But I think they're going to pay him what he. They're going to pay him. Yeah, I think we're looking somewhere around five years, fifty, fifty-five million, most likely yeah. something like that. I mean, he's making a thirteen, one hundred twenty, twenty-four million right now. So, uh, and I mean, giving him a little bit of a, a bonus. Um, I mean, that, that, I think he deserves it at this point. He's done so much. I, I, I'd be willing to pay him a little bit extra, um, just as an act of good faith. Yeah, it's a lot of sense. All right, well, let's talk about the dark side of Capitals hockey for a moment. Um, Brandon Sweet. Leipzig was recently waived by the team uh, for some. Uh, some inappropriate comments that came out on a private Instagram group chat in regards to his teammates, in regards to uh, other people. What do y'all think about that? Do you guys think the Caps approached that correctly? Um, I think for this one, um, I think the Caps as an organization and what they fit in their culture felt that this was not the headache and kind of the the bad culture influence in the locker room that they wanted. So it was kind of yeah. an easy thought to dismiss him, but I just want to kind of like him back to the Redskins here in a previous administration, not so long ago where we kept the safety called Monte Nicholson who went into all kinds of strife. He started a fight on video at uh, one Loudon. He had, um, he was in a house with his supposed girlfriend who overdosed and like, they can't hit that girlfriend's, like family came to camp just to protest Monte Nicholson still being a player and the Redskins organization didn't do anything. Like they didn't even like release any like notice or anything. And it was like kind of horrifying to see that kind of lack of response. And obviously it was a different administration at that time, but the capitals are like the complete opposite and they're cutting out this rot before. And I'm not saying this is as, bad as what Nicholson did, but it's I like, mean, just cut was, it out immediately before this, it becomes this, a bad worse. The, the comments he made, he's, he's a terrible, like, this. That's the things he said were some pretty terrible comments that 
right. have no place on an NHL organization. Right. I mean, he talked about, you know, woman um, and some of his own teammates that are still on the team. So having that kind of cancer in the locker room um, is just not something you want to deal with, especially for a guy that wasn't playing a lot in the first place. Like that didn't help his case, but I mean, you, there's only one option there and that's to dump his ass. Cause I mean, he's, that he's being a terrible human and that's what you get for being a terrible human. Yeah. But cynical B thinks that if he was a much more talented player, the caps would at least hesitate to immediately dump him. I, th- I mean, that. probably there probably would have been some question marks, but I think you still, at the end of the day, um, you got to dump him. Like if Ovechkin did it, like, there's definitely going to be some more talks. Obviously, Ovechkin is a, a Actually, great human let's being. Let's not use Ovechkin because it's just weird for him to just. No, no, I, I know. To go. But like, let's say I like know. a player I mean, like Kuznetsov because Kuznetsov. Oh, Kuzi or like yeah. Donna, yeah. I mean, any of those guys, any of our top six guys. I mean, if if any of them did something like that, like I think there would be more hesitation. But at the end of the day, like a terrible human is a terrible human. And you got to dump him. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you guys. I think um, I think it was an easy decision. Um, yeah, you know, he hasn't done much this year. Obviously, I don't condone anything he said. I kind of have my own personal feelings about like private messages going out in the public. You know, I am definitely no saint. Um, you know, I've said bad things that I would <laughs> certainly not want out in public. Um, you know, so I, I kind of have issue with that, but that's just the world we live in. I mean, on the flip side, I'm not like you don't have anything he said. I'm just saying that I, yeah, I, I have personal feelings about stuff that that's supposed to be private. That's all. I mean, he's also, I mean, talking about that, like he is a professional athlete, um, yeah. which means you are professional all the time. Like we are not professional athletes. Um, mm-hmm. So, and like, so the stuff we say, like, we don't have to probably be as mindful of just because of that sort of thing. Obviously, like, like I've been saying, like, he's a terrible human and like none of us would say the sort of things that he said. But I mean, I'm sure we've all said something regrettable, but we're not in the public eye. Like, yeah. no, you, I agree. I, I definitely agree. You got to be a professional. Um, and you're, like, you're in a I'm sure, situation. I'm sure a lot of the things, um, like we could talk about, you know, some of the other things that have come out about collegiate or collegiate or professional athletes that people have said when they were like 14, 15. That's yeah. I mean, those Trubisky. You you could go down a long list of them of of athletes that have said pretty questionable things at fourteen, fifteen, um, when they were younger, not in the public eye. Yeah. And, like, those are kind of different because, I mean, in 14, 15, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Um, yeah, I feel I mean, like that's I, don't, I still different. don't know what the hell I'm talking about most of the time. Um, I, I feel like but, that's a bit different because that's, like, them at 14 versus them as grown adults right. making these right. comments and then like, it getting we, released. We've all made stupid comments about at 14, 15. Nobody's going to care because we're not professional athletes. But, I mean, there, there's a difference between saying something stupid at 14, 15 or saying something stupid when you're 22, 23 and a professional athlete. For sure. Like, you've got to learn those things and when not to say something. And a lot of the times the answer is don't say it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got to be smart when you're a professional, when you're in the public eye. And, yeah. you know, you didn't think I that. mean, even let's say best case scenario, Leipzig was – 
at Leipzig was um, just pumping his chest being out funny and yeah. like trying to be funny. But even then, like it doesn't matter. It's you said something shitty and you get punished for it. Yep. Which is why I would like to call out and cancel Rahul for this tweet he put out at ten. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Back before Twitter was a thing. <laughs> um, but Capitals players are also uh, getting into starting their own podcasts. I guess they took uh, took advice from us on how to start their own podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, they've been listening. They said, oh shit, these random guys in <laughs> Washington, D.C. have started making a podcast. Maybe we should follow in their footsteps and start a podcast. So I actually want to speak about this a bit more. Um, their podcast is pretty interesting because it's not – it's really not about hockey itself. It's about their lives and how it's yeah. been affected by the sport and, like, kind of like the personal thing, things like their the what to do about the coronavirus, how they dealt with being, like, new dads um, and having to de- go through hockey games and, like, just stuff like that and having other players from the team join them and just – Kind of like shoot the shit. Uh, Nick Dowd and lives. Nick Dowd and Garnet Hathaway um, started a, a podcast. That's the that's the podcast we're always talking about. Yep. Um, and right now, right. And I feel like we as like people like you know we look up to athletes like when we were young and just like wanted to learn all about them. And like you see yeah. the popularity of shows like Hard Knocks and All or Nothing about like the lives of these like professional like mm-hmm. freaks of nature and also like really skilled players but also how they how they conduct themselves and like what they deal with on a daily basis and i feel like this is kind of a really cool thing that they start and i really would like to see it in other sports especially washington sports players across like wizards redskins and also mm-hmm. baseball and it would be really cool to hear i mean it it really humanizes um the athletes it makes mm. them feel more like me and you i mean when we see them on tv like these freak athletes they're they're not like there's a unrealistic like kind of fantastical um feel about them even if you when you do see them in person and when they're when they're in the spotlight, so it's interesting to see like their thoughts on their day to day lives and just living life in general. Um, I mean, we saw this with with this podcast, and then we kind of just got got a glimpse at that with the NFL draft, um, seeing the coaches just at their homes because it made them seem more like human beings instead of just figureheads of an organization. Um, we've also kind of seen this on TV shows. There's been a couple of TV shows with actors and actresses that have kind of just talked about how the show came to be and like their lives being affected by the show. So, I mean, as you were saying, like, yeah, it'd be really cool to just see, you know, Ryan Zimmerman and Steven Strasberg just talk about like the years of being in an organization. I mean, we saw the zoom video a while back i don't know if you all saw that of all the nats getting together and just talking about the world series and what they did and everything they felt Mm -hmm. Um, and with the podcast and also like that zoom video it's a lot more like i don't say personal than rather than like a film crew trying to follow on yeah you around for hard knocks and trying to like manufacture these kind of moments because it's those players coming forward and actually making an effort to like mm-hmm. bring you into their lives as it were. Yeah. I mean, as I was saying, yeah, I mean, it's, it makes them feel like we're just chatting like old buddies. Yeah. Like they're just being people. Agree. 
Anyway, uh, another event we could talk about here. Uh, currently, one essential sport that is currently going on is mixed martial arts. And last so night happy. was UFC 249, which was the uh, first UFC event to be done under this new reality that we live in. Um, so basically, for some measures that they took, they had an empty arena. Um, they administered over 1,500 tests to about 300 fighters plus the crew. Um, they had all only essential personnel working the event. Uh, they had social distancing in place. They had masks for all for all the crew. Um, do you guys? So ba- I, I know. So I know Nick and I were watching it together last night. So I'm gonna let Nick take take lead on this. Do you do you think this could be a blueprint, like some sort of precedent set for other sports moving into the near future? I think I think there's something you can learn uh, from this. Um, you know, obviously every sport is different and sports like baseball and football, you have teams that are in locker rooms or in the dugout together. And that might be a little more difficult to work out. But when you're, when you have two fighters that can be rotated in and out of the arena with their coaches and their staff and, you know, just essential personnel, uh, within the arena, like the medical and you know, the business people, um, I think there's a lot you can learn from it. Um, from what I had heard, the UFC put out uh, like a 30-page report on what they had done. And, um, you know, they're going to be doing more events uh, over this next week. And they hope to get back to Vegas uh, in their own complex to do this in a more controlled environment rather than having to go to an empty arena in Jacksonville. Um, you know, so I think they're doing some good, and I think there's a lot you can learn from it. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a blueprint for every sport, because every sport is different with its own consequences and circumstances. Um, you know, but I think there's something you can learn from it, and I'm, I'm glad they did this. Uh, it seems like it's gone off mostly without a hitch. There was one fighter who tested positive, and two of his crew member, uh, two of his crew members, the night before, and they pulled that fight. Um, so you hope that with all of the layers of defense that you had in place that they limited the uh, the spread and they took all the right precautions and they managed to put on a really, really good event. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fight fan and this was one of the best pay-per-views I've ever seen uh, just with the fights. It was awesome. Yeah, and, let's... Uh, Varun, I just wanted to talk about this for a little bit, but you mentioned in another uh, sport the actual, like, kind of like the ring noise, like the other uh, wrestlers and the other corner people like talk to the people that are actually in the ring is really cool. Like being able to hear that audio and like what's actually happening while they fight. And you, you never would hear that in, a full stadium, or even I mean, you like can, a half you, full stadium. You can, you could hear the punches being landed last night, right? right? And that brings the humanity to it, kind of that we were discussing a little bit earlier. Yeah, just the humanity, able to, the grown men beating the shit out of each other. Maybe we I mean, should just you, you know everything. what I mean. Like they, they, they're not just taking the hits like champs. They're act like you can hear them get hit. Yeah. Um, but there, there was like you were talking about the. Uh, if this is a step forward and then like, I mean, I think it's definitely a step forward, but I mean, with the UFC, you have one event in one place for one night. It's a lot harder for, let's say basketball, hockey, baseball, football, all these sports that have different locations to 
go from place to place because i mean you can't play 15 games in one day in one stadium like that <laughs> it's just not possible I also so i mean that's the, be- that's the big thing with that is they it's just they can't they, the fights are what 20 30 minutes most yeah. likely versus a baseball game which can be three four or five hours or a football game which is an hour and a half two hours i also think that just the scale of testing is crazy like being having to administer tests for all of those fighters like pretty much every time before a fight and then yeah. like if if however many tests right, positive yeah. do you, who decides to cancel the event yeah, and mean, also cancel the season that's the other thing like with with fighting like what how many how many guys fought last night uh probably about probably like seven fight uh eight or nine fights about 18 fighters right. and then so about- you got Total crew, and so I mean, you got eighteen fighters, and then how many are in the crew standard? Um, the people that were working the the event, they said it was about three hundred people, but in the actual arena at one given time, it was probably like twenty people. All right, so well, so that's three hundred eighteen tests, yeah, essentially for the uh, the entire. So yeah, three hundred eighteen a day. Yeah. Um, you can pair that to any like baseball or football where you got like 25 players on a team on each team. So that's 50 right there. And then if we're talking 300 um, crew members and that's probably for pretty much, well, not three, it, we could probably dial it down to about a hundred crew members for a baseball game. And that doesn't even include coaches. So, I mean, you're looking at like 200 per um, facility. So that's mm-hmm. like what, we would have to get to I, I, it, it would be like 15 games times 200 people. And I don't, I don't know the math to that, but that's, that's a lot of testing every single day. Yeah. You'd have to get to a different level of available tests. Yeah. It's not at right now. Yeah. So we're slowly toying the reality of less yeah. or no sports just because of yeah. the sheer scale of testing. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah I so I mean the event was awesome though and you know yeah. the pay-per-view apparently the pay-per-view sales were through the roof so I'm in favor of you know supporting that kind of yeah. thing. It's and, definitely a really cool step forward. Yeah. Um, that gets me excited for other sports but it's still going to be a month or so I'd say and I think we're still looking for that early July start date for baseball. And hopefully basketball and hockey can finish their seasons as well. Hopefully, yeah. No, so I just want to quickly run through the results of the co-main events at least. So we saw Henry Henry Cejudo defeated Dominic Cruz in a second-round knockout. Um, and Cejudo retired after the fight. So is the, do you think that's a legitimate retirement? Or maybe he's just trying to get a better contract negotiation? Uh, you know, I could go either way. From From what I heard, he wasn't happy about his money you know, in the months uh, leading up to this, but I've also heard in the months leading up to this that he had been talking retirement. And uh, Henry Cejudo, he won a gold medal in the Olympics at the age of 19, which is like a very rare thing, and retired from the sport altogether like a year later, uh, which is kind of a crazy thing to do if you win a gold medal at that young of an age. Like you have a very bright future in wrestling, and he decided to hang it up, and, you know, he never went back to it. And... He didn't hang it up to go immediately into MMA. He actually took some time off to kind of decide what he wanted to do, and then he pursued MMA. Um, So he's done it before, you know. He could be done for real. Um, Only 33 years old. I mean, you're not even in your prime at that age in MMA. I mean, you you have 
a few years worth of prime left, um, you know, but yeah. Um, he also, he also, I was going to say, he also called out doing what every other UFC fighter wants to do nowadays, which is go into professional wrestling. Uh, he's like, yeah, let me, yeah, I want to fight Rey Mysterio, Kurt Angle, not even realizing that Kurt Angle can barely move nowadays. But anyway, let's move into the main event. Justin Gaethje defeated Tony Ferguson. Pretty big shock. Um, and probably one of the best fights I've seen. I would describe myself as a very casual UFC fan. So to see a fight of that caliber was pretty insane. And knowing what Nick told me about Tony Ferguson and how good of a fighter he is, to see Justin Gaethje completely come in and just bust Tony Ferguson up like that, that was For five crazy. straight rounds. It wasn't like that one was time absolutely crazy and i'm surprised ferguson didn't go down after some of those punches because some of those punches were in like just straight power to the face ferguson had a chin oh my goodness um i mean gaethje he's been he came from another uh organization he was a world champion elsewhere so the guy was legit when he came in and immediately like you could tell he was really good he was knocking guys out um, he left himself exposed going for knockouts so quickly. So he got, he got knocked out a couple times himself in the UFC. And it really sounded like those couple of losses that he experienced in the UFC, which were his first professional losses, really gave him an opportunity to look at some things differently. And you could tell like in the later rounds of this fight in particular, uh, when he had Ferguson rocked, he was very patient. He didn't look to, you know, he didn't look to just explode on Ferguson and completely empty his gas tank. He was very, very patient. He walked him down um, and, and just picked his shots. And for five rounds, he really just mauled Ferguson. I don't know how Ferguson didn't go. I mean, how he accepted these punches and just didn't go down. I mean, the guy is a friggin' tank, um, you know, but it was just an awesome fight. And like Chris had mentioned like you could hear the thud of every single punch that was thrown. So I think maybe um, the punches maybe sounded a little bit louder uh, just because of how much uh, – how the efficiency of which Gaethje's punches were landing. You heard him so frequently and so, he hit him so good. Um, those typical punches in other fights where there's a crowd, maybe you don't hear that quite as well. So for five rounds, when you're hearing that thud just up on Tony's chin – it's like, how the hell is this guy not going down? Um, <laughs> it was a different experience without the crowd. I kind of liked it. Um, awesome fight, though. And I thought it was a good stoppage by the ref, too. Like, Ferguson was still on his feet. Um, and one of these jabs that hit him in the fifth round, um, it wasn't the hardest punch that he had taken. But when he took that punch, he backed up and started shaking his head like he was trying to keep consciousness. Um, and immediately heard Dean, the ref, who's the best in the business, got in there and was like about to stop it. Like he could tell it was about to be over. Uh, Gaethje landed one more and the fight was stopped. I thought it was a really good stoppage by Herb Dean. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, overall, UFC 249 was a really good event. And hot take, I think UFC is the one sport I think that could benefit from not having a crowd just because of the you could hear the coaches talking to the fighters you could hear the punches being landed it just gave a whole to me to me it felt more enjoyable yeah i mean there's i mean you you could say that for pretty much any sport like football you you can hear it it because of the revenue 
but I mean, yeah, UFC that's, that's, doesn't. That's, that's, you, you, UFC I wish. doesn't want to do it, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think any, I don't think UFC, I don't think AEW, WWE, none of them want to do that, but they have to. Wait, I thought we were talking about real sports like UFC. Can you, not can you not for a second? Because I would just <laughs> like to be able... The coolest part of sports is when everyone is just quiet in the stands. Yeah. And then you just hear something like, you know, like a Hail Mary pass in football. Or like the last shot in basketball. Or like, you know, everything like that. When everyone is just dead silent. And then you hear that crack. Like, of uh, you know, the infamous hit in the World Series. Oh, it's just there's, there's a lot of moments where there yeah. where everyone is just quiet for that event and like hearing mm-hmm. that UFC fight from the little I've watched of it, but just being able to hear everything and just the impact of the punches and kicks were it was it's definitely a really cool moment that we got to experience. Like the the crowd does provide a certain atmosphere that I think is also really cool. Um, I mean, there's there's pros and cons to both, but when you've got dead silence in the crowd, people aren't sitting on the or not dead silence, but like just kind of a white noise in the crowd, and then like that hit comes through that final goal, and the crowd just erupts in like celebration. You just see people going nuts. I think that's really cool. And then on the flip side, if you do it on in an away stadium and same sort of thing and the whole crowd just falls silent, I think that's also a really cool feeling yeah. as well for both fans and players. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's pros and cons to both. I think it would be cool for a couple of games, um, especially during the regular season, but not having a crowd for the playoffs would be – it would be a different atmosphere, kind of a disappointing one, I think. Yeah, I think when it's like a when you don't have a crowd for a couple events, you can kind of see the pros and cons for each, and you can go, oh, "This was kind of cool," but you know, eventually, yeah. it's not something you want to get used to. But you know, yeah. you might have to. I mean, it'll it'll lose its novelty eventually, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's still cool though. I, I still like it as as yeah. a fan of the games. Uh, I still enjoy the hearing the coaches i mean you you can hear them in some of the preseason spring training that sort of stuff but not in the regular season yeah and i didn't think the lack of a crowd diminished the ufc product at all like for last night the fights were amazing um you got to experience things a little bit differently without the crowd uh so it kind of opened you up to some of the the, the real the real uh sound of a punch just landing clean um, you know, coaches and fighters actually talking back and forth in the middle of a fight was kind of cool. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, man, it's it's about the product. It's about the fights that happened, and the fights were awesome. Yeah. So I mean, it was still – no matter what happened, it was really cool for, you know, the media, the sports media outlets to actually be talking about a sport that's happening right now as opposed to the posts that – I've been seeing a lot of recently of the, oh, this happened on this day, you know, five years ago, eight years ago, three years, whatever it is. Um, it's it's nice just to have that this is happening right now and this just happened, you know? Yeah. It's just, yeah. I don't know, it gets my competitive blood flowing. <laughs> yeah. and the UFC, Even if, like, I'm not the biggest fan of UFC, but it's just nice to see that competition again. Like, shoot, I was watching, like I said, the, the cornhole tournament yesterday just because oh, yeah. i me and my dad were watching it and i was just dying for any level of competition any professional competition i could get my hands on and that's just happened to be happened to be what we got 
My uncle and I were betting on cornhole yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> was like live gambling yeah, shit. Some of those playing. some of those professionals are like seventeen. It's wild. And then the others are like fifty. Yeah. That was kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, I remember Chris and I were watching bull riding the other yeah, day. Yeah, I watched some of that too, actually, yesterday. After we were done with the cornhole, we watched some bull riding. So that was interesting, I guess. <laughs> all right, guys, thanks for tuning into the DC Sports Brain Trust. We hope you all had a good time listening to this. Be sure to tune in next week. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. We'll have those in the description of the episode. Chris, Rahul, Nick, thank you all for for talking about awesome DC sports today. And uh, thanks guys again for listening. Yeah, hopefully we get some live sports in the near future. I mean, well, well, AEW is doing double or nothing in a few weeks. Oh, I said sports. Fuck you guys. All right. Thanks guys (laughs) for listening. Good night. (laughs) Dynamite.